This is the My Weight What to Know podcast, where we talk to medical experts about the latest research on weight management and how you can apply it to reaching your best weight. We have a very special show for you tonight with endocrinologist Dr. Akshay Jain, who's going to be talking about what happens in our bodies when we lose weight, why weight regain happens, and what we can do about it. Dr. Jain, thanks so much for being here with us tonight. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start with a phenomenon that I think everyone who's tried to lose weight knows so well. I change something, like I start eating differently, or I go on a diet, I try to exercise plan, and I lose weight at first, but then eventually I gain that weight back. Why does this happen? Why do studies show that 90 plus percent of people who lose weight gain it back? You hit the nail on the head there, Ansley. Um, That's probably the most frustrating part of working towards weight loss is that regain that tends to happen. And the answer lies in the way our body has, our, you know, the brain has been hardwired. So what tends to happen is that when we start losing weight, our caveman part of the brain, uh, even though we are trying to lose weight intentionally, it feels that we are getting short on nutrition and resources. So it starts to ramp up our defense mechanism. So what tends to happen, and I often tell this to my patients as well, uh, there is a thermostat in our brain that regulates the weight. And this is kind of like a rubber band, right? So if you have a rubber band and if you start losing weight, it's the analogy is that you're stretching out the rubber band. So the more weight you lose, the more stretching you're doing for that rubber band. But inherently, that tension that's created in the rubber band is such that the body always wants to go back to the baseline. So uh, there will be times when if we lose that focus, then the rubber band gets snapped back. And that's what tends to happen. It's that thermostat, which has automatically kept our weight at a certain point. When we start losing weight, it just wants to go back to the baseline. So Dr. Jane, you're an endocrinologist. Let's talk about the hormones that regulate weight and how our bodies react hormonally to weight loss. We tend to have two different kinds of hormones when it comes to the weight regulation. Uh, there is what we call anorexogenic hormones and then the orexogenic hormones. So anorexogenic hormones derived from the Latin root anorexia are the hormones that help our body to reduce weight. On the other end of the spectrum is the orexogenic hormones. And these are again from that caveman part of the brain where it says that you've gone too long without eating, your body's falling low on that nutrition resources. So you better start, you know, hitting the fridge there and start eating. So it's a fine balance between these anorexogenic hormones and the orexogenic hormones that help to regulate weight on a day-to-day basis. And then if you zoom out a little, you'll notice that there's other hormones that also play a role. So these could be sex hormones like testosterone in men, estrogen in women, uh, stress hormones, especially cortisol. And these hormones can often regulate our body's weight in an indirect manner. And uh, this is more of uh, a broad-based weight regulation compared to the orexogenic and the anorexogenic hormones that are more of a fine-tuned day-to-day weight adjustment. So when we lose weight, do our hormones change in a way to make us hungrier? I know a lot of people say, like, I'm losing weight and I'm hungry all the time. Is that our body trying to protect us? Absolutely. So that's when the body starts 
you know, really ramping on the brakes uh, with wanting to make sure that we don't lose too much weight, even though we are trying to lose that weight intentionally. So what tends to happen going to the rubber band, so essentially when we start losing weight, we are pulling that rubber band and it takes a lot of effort to keep the rubber band stretched. However, what tends to happen is the body then realizes that you're losing too much weight. So it cuts down the anorexogenic hormones, the hormones that lead to satiety and feeling that you're full. And it ramps up the orexogenic hormones, which are the ones that lead to more craving. So essentially what happens is the more you stretch this rubber band, the more the orexogenic hormones start going up. And then there's this paradoxical intense craving for foods or for increasing our nutritional intake. At the same time, what tends to happen is that on a day-to-day -day basis, we are losing calories just by regular things like breathing, sitting, walking, you know, just day-to-day -day activities. And this is essentially what regulates our metabolic rate. So when we start losing weight, the caveman part of the brain says, all right, we got to stop this. So it reduces that metabolic rate. So we tend to expend fewer calories. So on one hand, the body's going to cut down the caloric expenditure. On the other hand, it's going to ramp up the craving. And that's why, you know, the body's working against your efforts to lose that weight. So Dr. Jane, you have a wonderful YouTube channel where you make awesome short videos. One of my favorite videos you've done is about dealing with cravings. So I have to ask you, can you share with our audience tonight your best tips for dealing with cravings? So uh, often with working with my patients, we try to devise ways where we can fool that caveman brain, right? And try to make sure that we don't fall in to these cravings, even though it's completely natural to have the cravings. So what I tell my patients is about the five D's of resisting cravings. So the five D's include delay. So oftentimes if you're having this intense craving to eat something, uh, make a trade with your brain. You know, you tell that, okay, I'll have that thing that I'm thinking about eating, but I'll have it after an hour. So I give a set time. And then when that hour rolls in, if I'm still having the craving, then I'll say, maybe I'll have it after half an hour. So delay is the first D. The second D is distract. So oftentimes, like I said, when I'm at work, uh, we may often start thinking so much about work that I don't think about my orexogenic hormones. But uh, if I start distracting myself, maybe go out for a walk, spend time with the family, then I don't think too much about the cravings. So the second D is distract. The third D is drink. So what tends to happen is when the stomach uh, starts expanding, that's when these triggers get sent to the brain saying that, hey, you know, we've got something in the stomach and it reduces the craving. Now, so far, we've got delay, we've got distract, we've got drink. The fourth D is distance. Now, oftentimes, there is one particular part uh, of the house or your office where there is, you know, uh, foods that are readily available. So say, for instance, that's a refrigerator or the kitchen in your home or the pantry or the um, lunchroom in your office. Um, just try to step as far away from that area as possible. 
because you know the body loves to have what I call mindless eating. So if you're walking by the refrigerator or if there was a bowl of candy, you unknowingly just pick up one and you know uh, have that candy. So try to distance yourself away from areas where food is readily accessible because particularly during the times of craving, that's when the hunger hormones can really make you uh, make decisions that are not really ideal. And then the fifth D, is decide. So essentially decide means always introspect and look at what has been working so far and what has not. A lot of times we may have hunger cravings associated with certain stimuli. So for instance, if I've had a stressful day at work, I come back home and I feel that I deserve to have that tub of ice cream because work was so bad. Or when I'm uh, you know, binging on my favorite Netflix show, I may uh, have some mindless eating where I may have a, you know, a popcorn or something else that I'm mindlessly eating. So try to see what happens and what these associated stimuli are and then try to break that stimulus so that uh, we distance ourselves from these cues try to see what's working with the cravings, what's not, and reinforce the things that are working. So just to recap, five Ds, we do delay, we do distract, drink, distance, and then decide. Oh, I love the five Ds. Lots of women report gaining weight during menopause. Tell us why does that happen? And is there anything we can do about it? So this is a very common observation and uh, it is multifactorial. So. One of the main things that happens during menopause in women is that the estrogen production goes down significantly. So the ovaries are no longer able to produce estrogen. And when estrogen levels go down, if people or if women have weight gain, then that weight gain is essentially in the belly region and not as much in the hips or thighs. So lack of estrogen leads to redistribution of the place where we have weight gain. So it's generally in the belly region. Also, what's happening at that same time, so menopause may sometimes be um, quite a difficult time for women. So it may be stressful time uh, given the symptoms that may be occurring. Sleep can often be affected. And when we are not well rested, at that time, our hormone levels, uh, the stress hormone levels can go up. When we are not well rested, we have an increased predilection of gaining weight. So that's another factor. Also, menopause is occurring, say, in the late 40s or 50s. So as we're growing older, at that time, our body tends to lose muscle mass. And when you're losing muscle, you preferentially gain fat or adipose tissue. So essentially what tends to happen is the nutritional intake that we have then starts getting redistributed to develop more fat tissue in the body. And that also contributes to obesity. And part of it could also be genetics as well. So multiple factors uh, that unfortunately uh, can explain some of the aspects of weight gain during uh, menopause. So the fact that our hormones and our genetics play such a big role in our weight means that kind of like eating less and moving more just isn't enough for many people with obesity. So can you talk about the medical treatments that are available for reaching a healthier weight? This is where we are at a, such a paradigm shift in our battle against obesity. You know, Ansley, if you and I were having this conversation 20 years ago, I would have said, unfortunately, we have very little to offer to people that are living with obesity. 
but things have changed dramatically. So what tends to happen is that as we are losing weight, we are stretching out a rubber band or readjusting that thermostat, but keeping that rubber band stretched takes a lot of effort. And uh, the orexogenic hormones, which are the hunger hormones, are at an all-time high, and we are trying to reduce our metabolism. So essentially our body's working against us, right? It doesn't want us to keep that weight off. This is where uh, obesity medications come into play. So these anti-obesity medications help in our efforts to keep that tension in the rubber band. Uh, essentially, these medications will make sure that the craving hormones do not go up. Uh, depending on the type of medication, different medications work on different parts of the brain. We may also reduce the pleasure that we may get from eating certain foods. So if I want to really, after a long day's work, go back home and have that tub of ice cream when I feel nice, uh, if I'm on an anti-obesity medication that reduces the pleasure that I get from that uh, tub of ice cream, then I'll be less likely to have those foods that can cause weight regain. These medications can also keep me full for longer and when I do eat, it helps me reduce the amount of nutritional intake. So overall, depending on the medication, there can be different aspects of uh, the hunger and the um, satiety hormones that are being regulated. And they are instrumental in keeping that rubber band stretched and avoiding us from regaining all that weight that we've worked so hard to lose. Dr. Jane, you talked about medication as one of the medical treatments available for weight management. Any thoughts on how someone might figure out if medication is the right next step for them? So there are certain criteria that doctors or healthcare providers will use in order to decide if medication treatment is indicated in our battle against obesity. And one of these, uh, depending on the monograph or the essential rule book of the medication, is finding out what is the person having challenges with when it comes to obesity. So we look at a body mass index or BMI as a guiding factor because most of the studies that are being done with these medications look at that for including or excluding patients. Now, BMI may not often be an ideal way to understand the ramifications of obesity for someone, but that is one of the deciding factors. So for most anti-obesity medications, if an individual has a BMI of 30 or more, then they would qualify for treatment with the anti-obesity medication. Or if someone has a BMI of 27 or higher, and they have even one of the many complications associated with obesity, these complications can include abnormal blood sugar, so it could be diabetes or borderline diabetes, abnormal blood pressure, abnormal cholesterol levels, sleep apnea, polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, osteoarthritis, depression, cardiac disease or heart disease, the list goes on and on. So any of these complications related to obesity and a BMI of 27 or higher will qualify one for treatment with an anti-obesity medication. The best way to calculate BMI is to Google calculate BMI and you just have to put in your height and your weight and you know what your BMI is.
So I think everyone understands how a physician can help with managing cancer or high blood pressure or diabetes, but I'm not sure everyone recognizes how a physician like you can help with weight management. Tell us, how can a physician make a big difference for someone who's struggling with weight? Our understanding of obesity is growing with every passing second. So unfortunately, many healthcare providers, including me myself, when we are in uh, training, so in med school, for instance, uh, not a lot of training is being given to the management of obesity because this is again a field that we are only coming to understand in the recent times. So having said that, we know that there is a significant prevalence of obesity in this society and it's not just the weight that is the problem, but the complications associated with the obesity, that is what we are trying to deal with. So a lot of physicians may have special interest in looking at the scientific aspects of obesity and knowing what tends to work, what doesn't work, looking at all your medications that you're taking, for instance, and finding out if, if it's one of your medications that's causing the weight gain, um, and then devising the best possible individualized plan for management of obesity. Because bear in mind, all of us are very different. The reason why we may have troubles with our weight could be very different from person to person. And because obesity is a very specialized, very scientific field, uh, we do have physicians that have special interests or specialize in the management of obesity. And hence, it's a good idea to chat with your family physician or your nurse provider or your physician assistant to see if this is something that they can help you with, or if not, refer you to someone that could specialize in the management of obesity. So what I hear you saying is that, you know, just because a specific eating approach or exercise program worked for a neighbor of ours, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for us. And it's really ideal to talk to a healthcare professional who really specializes in obesity to figure out what's going to be the right plan for us. Absolutely. We all are completely different from each other. And when it comes to our obesity genetic uh, blueprint, and that's why we need someone that helps us uh, individualize our strategy against the management of obesity. So I know a lot of people think, you know, I know what I need to do. I just need to do it. Is there a specific point on our journey with weight when it makes sense to say, okay, I'm going to talk to my doctor about it? I would say the sooner the better. So we often tend to go to Google where we have a generalized approach. And as you mentioned, Ansley, you know, if something works for my friend or my neighbor, then I'd be more likely to try it. Unfortunately, uh, the dialogue or the communication may often be closed with your healthcare providers. Studies show that most people living with obesity are suffering from obesity for almost a decade, 10 years, before they bring it up with their healthcare provider. And sometimes uh, healthcare providers are uh, a little hesitant to bring up that topic of weight as well. So I think we really need to open our channels of communication Talk to your healthcare provider and see if how you can best address the weight problem. And the sooner you do it, the better it is, because if you live for a long time with obesity, then that thermostat in the brain for our weight gets set. So we want to make sure that we are able to address this at the earliest possible time. Also, the earlier we address obesity, the less likely many of these complications like sugar problems, blood pressure, so on and so forth, uh, will not have a time to flare up. So the sooner we do this, the better. So you mentioned earlier all the different ways our weight can impact our health. 
Can our weight impact our heart health, like our risk for a heart attack or stroke? Definitely. Weight is one of the biggest risk factors for increasing the risk of heart attacks, strokes, heart failure, a bunch of these things. So we do know that when we have an increased body weight, there's a lot of inflammation going on in our body. And it is this inflammation that can often cause the arteries in the blood vessels uh, in the heart to kind of block up, clog up. And that can lead to increased risk of heart attacks and strokes. And then also with the increased weight, or there's more strain on our heart to keep pumping. And that can often affect uh, the ability of the heart to pump. So there's that uh, risk of heart failure. Uh, coming closer to today's day and age, we did see, unfortunately, that when someone gets affected with COVID, for instance, if they also have obesity, then the risk of heart complications are much higher, essentially because of that inflammation. So for the men watching tonight, Dr. Jane, is there anything specific you think they should know about reaching a healthier weight? I think obesity in men is often not spoken about at all. Part of it is, unfortunately, our society places a lot of undue emphasis on how uh, women should look and just the way um, social media is there or you know the peer pressure uh, a lot of women are often under undue amount of stress uh, and they are expected to look a certain way um, to the other side of the spectrum uh, men may not have that same degree of um, social pressure, but that does mean then they are less likely to discuss about this with their physicians. And as a result, these complications of diabetes or of obesity could often brew. And that by the time uh, these complications get so bad, uh, a lot of things that could have been reversed or corrected at an earlier stage with the obesity, uh, we now miss that window of opportunity. Uh, men too tend to have a lot of obesity related complications. So apart from the regular ones that I spoke about, which is the sugar, the blood pressure, the cholesterol, sleep apnea, arthritis, uh, men with obesity may often have low testosterone levels. And that in turn can affect the men's sexual health, um, the muscle structure of, uh, of a man, as well as their heart health. So that's one of the other reasons why men suffering from obesity should seek help uh, the sooner the better. Okay, last question for you that I've been asking all of our guests recently. What is the number one thing you wish people knew about weight loss? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me this. And I, I'm going to speak from my practice with every discussion I've ever had with a patient. When you are losing weight, there will be a point of time when you will hit a plateau because you've stretched that rubber band out as much as possible. When you're not losing any more weight, it doesn't mean that you're failing in your efforts. So do not get discouraged. In fact, the ability of maintaining that weight, keeping that rubber band stretched, also indicates how much effort that you're putting in. So do not lose hope, do not get discouraged, because if at that point of time, if you stop doing what you're doing, then that rubber band's gonna stretch, snap right back, and then there's gonna be weight regain that leads to a lot of frustration. So bear in mind the increased cravings that you're having, inability to lose any further weight, it's all part of your body's physiology or normal functioning and it's completely normal. Dr. Jane, thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. This has been such a great conversation. 
Thank you for having me. Take good care. Good night.